turning to Psalm 15. It is a psalm of David, and we'll read uh, the uh, five verses uh, that we have here tonight. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbour, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbour, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoureth them that fear the Lord, he that swerveth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not his own money, he that putteth not out his money to ursery, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. Amen. Uh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word uh, tonight. It was the Puritan preacher and commentator Matthew Henry who said that the scope of this short but excellent psalm is to show us the way to heaven and to convince us that if we would be happy, we must be holy and honest. John Calvin said that this psalm teaches us what condition God made, upon what condition God made choice of the Jews to be his people and placed his sanctuary in the midst of them. This condition was that they should show themselves to be a peculiar and holy people by leading a just and upright life. And as we see in this psalm, we find that those who will abide in the tabernacle, those who will dwell in the holy hill, are those who do not engage in the sins that have been mentioned here, but rather they are those that walk uprightly and those who love the Lord. We must remind ourselves tonight of the content and the message of Psalm 14, and the wickedness of men. And so in light of what we've already considered then, last week in Psalm 14, and the wickedness of man, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And this it brings us into the next psalm with two very relevant and logical questions. Firstly, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And secondly, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And the term tabernacle here certainly is reference to the dwelling place of God in Old Testament times. The Hebrew word for tabernacle here can also refer to home. Matthew Henry said, by the tabernacle we may understand the church militant, typified by Moses' tabernacle, fitted to a wilderness state, mean and movable. There God manifests himself and there he meets his people as of old in the tabernacle of the testimony. And the tabernacle was not placed then in the Old Testament scriptures. It represented God's kingdom and God's presence on earth. And the ultimate type of that then is heaven. The dwelling place of God, the eternal home of his redeemed people. David also mentions thy holy hill, which refers to Mount Zion. The place upon which the temple of God would one day be built. Place where the people of the Lord would rejoice and praise the God of their salvation. And a place which reminds us of our eternal home in heaven. And so this psalm reminds us to live that upright life. 
to not merely serve the Lord by outward ceremonies, but to live uprightly. John Calvin said that too often we see the church of God defaced by much impurity. To prevent us from stumbling at what appears so offensive, a distinction is made between those who are permanent citizens of the church and strangers who are mingled among them only for a time. And what he meant by that is that there is a distinction in the people of God. There are those who are part of the visible church and there are those who are part of the true invisible church of Christ. There is a distinction because there are those who walk uprightly, who work righteousness, righteousness, who speak the truth in their hearts. They love the Lord. They dwell in the holy hill. They abide in the tabernacle. But there are others, and while they appear to be of God, they are not. And so tonight I want us to consider the righteous path to heaven. The righteous path to heaven. And firstly, I want you to see our acknowledgement that all men are not on the righteous path. This brings us back to what John Calvin said. Our acknowledgement that all men are not on the righteous path. And the opening words of this psalm give a serious and solemn question. David here is emphasizing that all men will not be found in heaven. That is something we understand from scriptures. That is something that we know because there are men in scripture who perished, men who lost their souls. And when we think of that, This distinction between those who love the Lord and walk in his ways and those who are not his. We think, we think of those who know not the Savior and to say that there is a distinction, to say that there are those who are lost is offensive. It's offensive to suggest that there are those who will go to hell those who will never repent, those who are not of God. And in this world today, it is an offensive thing to say that. But David is asking this question. And he is saying that those, he's asking God these questions, and those who would desire heaven must go to God. And many avoid coming unto God, but yet they claim they will enter into the gates of heaven. We see that in this world. Many reject God. Many have no time for him, no time for the gospel, but yet they claim they will enter the gates of the new Jerusalem because God is love. doesn't matter about the judgment aspect and the justice aspect and the holy aspect, but God is love and therefore all men will enter, so they say. And as a result, God has given direction in his word to the inheritors of the kingdom of God. It is not all men. It is a certain number, the Lord's people, those who abide in his tabernacle and those who dwell in his holy hill. And only those changed by the divine grace of God shall inherit the kingdom of God. We see that 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 to 11. We won't turn to it, but Paul lists great sins committed by the church of Christ. Great sins, those who were part of that church engaged in these great and wicked sins. And Paul says, you've been washed, you've been cleansed. You've been sanctified. There were great testimonies here. Abusers of themselves with mankind. Sodomites who were condemned. 
Clear that they would have no part of the kingdom of God unless there is repentance and a turning unto Christ. And so we see the gospel sieves and it sieves sinners who are great and wicked in their ways. But only those who are saved by divine grace can inherit the kingdom of God. And this inquiry by David is most solemn. The question before us is of great importance to us and to mankind. It's a question that every man ought to consider and ask. It's not just for us to ask ourselves, but a question we ought to ask of others. Because it's an eternal question. It's a question that emphasizes the importance of eternity and knowing that our hearts are right with God. Too many Christians live their lives focused on temporal things, silly things but not on eternal matters. And in eternity, the destination of the soul of man, his state with God is the only thing that will matter. The Savior said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If a man focuses on himself and gains everything in this world, but does not make preparation for his own soul, he will be lost. He will be lost. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And if all men are not on the righteous path, then we must make sure of our own spiritual good. We must make sure of our salvation. And then we must seek to reach out with the gospel of Christ. Are you sure of your salvation tonight? Are you sure that your sins are forgiven? Are you sure without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Christ? you have that surety? When you read this psalm, does this psalm encourage your heart? Because the psalmist is speaking of things that you agree with and things you see in your life and things that you desire. We must make sure of our own spiritual good and salvation and then we must reach out with the gospel to others. We must reach out to those who... If they die in their sins, will not abide in thy tabernacle and will not dwell in thy holy hill. But secondly, here we see that our godliness, our godliness that proves that we are on the righteous path. Our godliness that proves that we are on the righteous path. We see this, verses 2 down to 5. There are many things found in this psalm that refer to those who will inherit heaven. And we must note that the new birth is central to what is being taught in this psalm we cannot experience what is happening here if we are not saved we cannot walk uprightly we cannot know righteousness we cannot speak the truth in our hearts Uh, we uh, see uh, the sentence there backbiting with the tongue we cannot uh, we can uh, not prevent that if we know not christ as our savior and so we see fruit of salvation here How the believer ought to behave because Christ has cleansed him and changed him and made him a new creature. And the ground of our salvation is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evidence that we have faith in him and experience the new birth is then a life of godliness and a life of holiness. And we see this in this psalm. Firstly, I want you to see he that walketh uprightly. He that walketh uprightly. One who is sincere, verse 2. One who is perfect. We can think of Job who eschewed evil and walked uprightly before the Lord. Those who are not conformed to this world but transformed 
by the power of Christ. Those who walk according to the Lord. And of course, when we think of this, that is a work of grace. That is a work of Christ within the heart. And then we see there, secondly, he that worketh righteousness, one who is honest, one who is just, one who is transparent. Uh, The people of God ought to have a desire to love, to work righteousness. And that should be our goal in life. That should be our aim in life, to work righteously. Whatever employment we are in, to work righteously. If you work as a loan shark, you're going to have a problem working righteously. You might need to change your employment. But in most employments in this world, we can work righteously and should work righteously because we are to labor to the glory of God. And that should be our aim in life. We see here then, he that speaketh the truth in his heart. Verse 2, no lies, nothing deceitful coming out. We see then verse 3, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Here the original Hebrew means to be a tailbearer, to, to slander. Many Christians do that out of sinful jealousy or to cause problems. It's something that is constant, constant. Every week I hear examples of this. Someone is offended and they slander somebody else. Not, not within this congregation I hear from outside. And it's nothing to do with us. Uh, but someone's offended because uh, someone slandered them. Or someone rebuked them rightly for something they did was wrong. And then they slander the other person. It happens constantly in this world. Someone tried to live Or to lift themselves up to be good and wholesome. And then they must slander others in order to climb above them. And we have a phrase in Northern Ireland to go around the country gossiping and slandering. And if someone did that here, you'd miss them in church because they'd be gone a long time if they were to go around the country slandering. uh, Because the country is so big, but you get the point. They are not happy with something that happens and they go and they, they tell. They tell everyone. They tell those who have no business And they're not going around telling the truth. They're not going around spreading things that might be public. That's a whole different area. But they're going around and twisting the truth. They're going around telling lies. They're going around corrupting and bringing down the character of this individual. And as we see here, that is wrong. That is sinful. And there needs to be repentance. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. And then we see he that... Does not do evil to his neighbor. Verse 3 again. And this is part of the backbiting with the tongue. Careful to do no hurt to man. In other words you have a good testimony. Toward your neighbor. Your neighbor when he looks at you. He thinks of one who is godly. And one who is righteous. Nothing to offend another. Nothing to cause damage to his health. Or to his body. Nothing to injure him in his estate or his secular interests in his family or his relations in other words everything that you do to others is done for their your edification everything that you do within the church of Christ is done for edification the building up of the people of God and that is an interesting thought desiring 
by the grace of God that all our actions are done for the edification, the strengthening and the progression of the people of God. We see that in the Ten Commandments. The preservation of our neighbor's life. Thou shalt not kill. That means that we desire to preserve life. We desire to preserve our neighbor's life and our own life, but our neighbor's life. A good testimony, we don't lie and bear false witness against our neighbor. The wealth of our neighbor, thou shalt not steal. And therefore it will do our neighbor harm if we steal. Or we deceive in such a way that he loses the wealth that he has accumulated by legitimate means. And if we were to consider the Ten Commandments and what our Confessional standards teach about the Ten Commandments. In the Shorter Catechism, uh, even very simply, it's expanded in the larger, but you'll find those things. The preservation of our neighbor's life, that good testimony, that wealth, those commandments explicitly say about protecting our neighbor and about preserving our neighbor's life and his wealth and taking care to forward his estate. In other words, not damaging his estate. If I were to hit your car on the way out of church and it was written off, well, I'm to go down the process of making sure that you have uh, the compensation for what happened. Now that'll be done through insurance, uh, but maybe some things need to be done uh, in a different means. But it's making sure that the wealth of our neighbor, etc., is not damaged by actions of ours, doing no ill to our neighbor. We see as well in verse 3, he that does not take up a reproach against his neighbor. There's no scandalous report. That's what John Gill refers to. He does not raise any scandalous report on him himself, nor will he bear to hear from another, much less will he spread one. Again, this comes into the backbiting with the tongue, part of that. Uh, But... In, in other words, uh, that if the neighbor has done wrong, you see about vindicating him, clearing his character. But also, if he has done wrong, then that needs to be dealt with as well. But in regard to not taking a scandalous reproach against him, if it is not true, if it is not true. Moving on to verse 4, uh, we see uh, that... Uh, There are those who are contemned by God. And these are things that we ought not to be doing as the people of God. The wicked man esteems wicked man. But God deals with man justly. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned. But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. We're to esteem the Lord. We are to love the Lord despite the actions of men. We're not to swear to his own hurt. In verse 5, uh, we see that we're not to swear against our neighbor falsely or to pass a wrong sentence upon him, again tied into what we've said already. And so, very simply in this psalm, we have a way of righteousness set out. This is how we are to behave as the people of God. There's much more we could say. But our godliness is an evidence that we are on the righteous path. That we are following the God of heaven. We are on that righteous path to heaven. 
Notice here thirdly and finally, our blessed assurance on the righteous path. Our blessed assurance on the righteous path. Verse 5. Verse 5 tells us, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Those who walk uprightly, those who work righteousness and speak truth, those who do not do the sins that are mentioned here, they shall never be moved. And how wonderful that truth is. We can have a real assurance that those who trust upon the Lord shall never be moved. And biblical Christianity is all about what? It's about assurance. Assurance. Knowing our sins forgiven. Knowing peace with God. Knowing the Lord working within us. There's a great peace within us. A great peace regarding assurance. And we'll read some verses at the Lord's table on Sunday regarding assurance. And knowing the assurance that Christ has saved us. And this psalm reminds us of this. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. He's safe with God. God is his refuge. There's an assurance that all is well with him. Do you have that assurance tonight? That in your life, because you love the Savior, there's an assurance that he is your Lord, that he is your master, that he is your Savior, that he is the one who gives you grace and gives you help day by day. Matthew Henry said in singing this psalm, we must teach and admonish ourselves and one another to answer the characters here given of the citizen of Zion, that we may never be moved from God's tabernacle on earth and may arrive at last at the holy hill where we shall be forever out of the reach of temptation and danger. May we be encouraged tonight, encouraged to live for the Lord, encouraged to have assurance and to Walk that righteous path in all godliness for his name's sake. Amen. Amen.